In the late 60s and early 70s, a French sociologist, and I would even say she's also a philosopher, thinker, uh, did some work that brought her international attention. And the work that she did was on concepts that she called in French esclavage and sexage. So esclavage is slavery and sexage is where slavery is the appropriation of humans on the basis of racialized differences. Um, sexage is the appropriation of women on the basis of sex difference. And what she was trying to tie together at this point, this was very novel and um, very, um, very interesting work. She was trying to show how the underlying logic and the tools that are used to produce sexualized and racialized differences um, are the same. And as part of this account, she gives us a history of what she calls the system of Marx. The system of Marx, in her account, goes back to the feudal period of the 18th century. And actually, it, w it goes back further than this, because we can find a, a, an account in Lefebvre that um, talks about these the, the marks that are left in space. And I think tying this account back to Lefebvre would be another interesting podcast. But today I want to focus on, on uh, Kalek Yaman's account. So she talks about how the, in the feudal period of the 18th century, the nobility had the sole rights to express themselves by wearing furs, jewels, bright colors, and metallic cloths. And the bourgeoisie had a monopoly on the wearing of black. So the type of things and the colors that you wore identified your social standing, your class. This distinction then disappeared when the noble class melted into the bourgeoisie during the 19th century after the bourgeois revolutions. And she's talking about European history, obviously. Now, these later, and I'm reading here from her, her, um, from her text, uh, by abolishing clothing prohibitions, these were prohibitions, uh, are the source of so-called peasant regional costumes in which color, lace, and embroidery express newly acquired right. Okay, so later on, the, the right to wear bright colors became a symbol of the so-called peasant regional classes. Now, in the Middle Ages, she goes on, she goes on to say, uh, that there were marks that certain groups would wear to identify their associations. So the pointed hat or the yarmulke, uh, the yarmulke of the Jews, the yellow cross of the Cathars. The nobles marked various family groups with a coat of arms on movable objects such as shields, armors, vehicles, paintings, etc. And then in the 16th century and the 17th centuries, slaves and deported, uh, she uses the word, or the translator uses the word prostitutes here, and the slaves until the 19th centuries were marked by an immovable sign. So the, the signs go from being movable um, to immovable. And these signs are directly inscribed on the body. In the 20th century, deportees were marked by the Nazis. In the same state, uh, a cloth badge was imported on Jews, um, etc., etc. So the point is that there's a very long history of a system of marks, which is used to differentiate people along social class, around religious uh, identification, um, and that this is a system of marks that becomes naturalized 
and is moved, is made a permanent feature of differentiation between humans where it comes to race. And I won't give you that part of the theory, but what interests me here is just to take out the two characteristics of the system of Marx. And I'm going to read you here from her account. The characteristics of the mark vary, and its indelibility, as well as its more or less close proximity to or association with the body, is a function of, one, the assumed permanence of the position, and two, the degree of subjection that it symbolizes. So the convict under the ancient regime, the contemporary concentration camp victim, and the American slave bore the marks on their bodies as a sign of the permanence of the power relationship. I want to take this idea of the system of marks and the history of the system of marks to look at what's happening in the relationship between bodies, power, and technology. In three stories that were recently published that I recently saw this morning actually on Twitter and the first story is one that was all over the internet yesterday and that has to do with the announcement of uh, by Apple that the iPhone 10 is going to use facial recognition in order to identify the owner of that phone and to unlock the phone and there was a story that I saw this morning um, on um, it says Senator Frank Franken asked Apple for privacy guarantees around Face ID data. And this was in, uh, in TechCrunch, yes. So there is that. And then there's also a story which has to do with the tech giants are racing to develop these smart contact lenses. And that was in Mashable. These are lenses that will contain in them photographic and videoing capability. So you insert it into your eye. And the video that is basically the story is a video. And the video shows a, a man, a, uh, a undescript, unmarked male, a good-looking man putting in these contacts and going through a crowd. And it says he's like a spy. He's going through the crowd. And as he looks at a face, uh, he's able to see data on this person that he is looking at. So it reminds, it reminded me a lot of that episode in Black Mirror where the woman is uh, needing to up her social status in order to gain the housing that she desires. And as she's going through, she's able to see people's social scores as she looks at them. So very much that's exactly the fantasy that, that we have going on here. And the third story has is from Giz, uh, Gizmodo, and it's about a pair of smart glasses that could one day turn your nose into a secret remote control. So you can rub and, uh, and, and twitch and flick your nose and control uh, some technological device using your nose via the glasses. There are sensors on the nose pads of the glasses that senses what you're doing with your nose. Uh, very, very clever. So these three stories are fantastic because they really brought to the fore the way in which technology is initially an exterior mark of wealth at least in our in our society right and then it becomes more and more integrated into our bodies it becomes more and more a permanent feature of what it means to be a successful human being let's say and as it becomes more and more a mark of a certain kind of human body and a more and more permanent 
mark, uh, marker of subjectivity. It also, on the flip side of that, is a, an indication of the degree to which we are becoming subjected to the, the technological means. And I think the next step, and this is kind of where we enter into the future of Black Mirror territory, the next step is that these marks will be naturalized such that the humans who have been integrated technologically and successfully will become viable subjects and will be the bodies that matter. Other humans who have not successfully integrated technologically will become disposable. So what it means to be a human will will have changed. It will have the value of the human body will depend on its technological abilities. And so if we were to go back to that Black Mirror episode, and if you haven't seen Black Mirror, I highly recommend the series. Um, what would happen with this character who, uh, who refuses uh, to become integrated technologically, who refuses to have their body subjected to technological means? What would happen to the person who is unable to submit for whatever reason? And that, I think, is uh, uh, another Black Mirror episode in the making. So I hope you enjoyed this. Let me know what you think. I just re-recorded this. It used to be four episodes, and now it is two. So I'm getting more concise. Uh, arrivederci. Uh, until next time.